Well, good morning. Uh, I want to welcome you to Element Church. We're excited that you're here today, uh, not only to worship with us, but that you're here for week four of our series entitled InstaFam. You know, great families don't happen in an instant. Great relationships don't happen in an instant. They take time and intentionality, but they're always worth the effort. God has given us the pictures that we need for great families, for great relationships. We just have to take a closer look. And that's what we're doing in this series, is we're taking a closer look at the pictures that God has painted for us of what a great family, what great relationships look like, and allowing that to speak and challenge each of us. Uh, We're in week four now, but when we started in week one, uh, our sermon was about God's heart for your home. And the big idea in week one uh, was that great families don't happen by accident. That if we want to have great families, and I believe that all of us in here do, regardless of what life circumstance you find yourself in today, all of us want great families, we want great relationships, and those don't happen by accident. God's heart for us is to be proactive, to to be intentional, to take that first step, uh, to do what's necessary to help promote great relationships. Uh, Our second week, um, the message was on moving towards connection. And the big idea in that message was that vulnerability does not equal weakness, but instead vulnerability is the courage to be imperfect. And that to have great families, to have great relationships, you and I are going to have to be willing to be vulnerable. Jesus was sort of the example set for us in being vulnerable and allowing uh, himself to be open to others to influence them, and uh, sets an example for us of of how we can move together towards connection. And then last week, if you were here, uh, we talked about the meaning of marriage. And our big idea last week was that the meaning of marriage is to paint a picture of the gospel. That our marriages were designed to paint a picture of the gospel message for a watching world, to paint a picture of the gospel for our kids, And to paint a picture of the gospel for our spouse. And so as we jump into week four of our series, InstaFam, I need you to play along with me for just a minute. Now, some of you instantly get nervous when we we say things like that, but but just, just hang with me. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. Now, I've been doing this long enough to know only 50% of you are actually going to do it because half of you have trust issues. Um, But if you can, I'd like for you to close your eyes. If you can't, it's fine. We're not pickpocketing you. We're not about to call someone out. Um, I just want to help remove the distractions uh, for you for a minute. Okay, so if you're comfortable, play along with me. Close your eyes. And I want you to think of the three most influential people in your life as you were growing up. So we'll just say like from about as early as you can remember, whatever age that is, up until we'll just say you graduated high school. So between that time frame, who are the three most influential people in your life who have helped to shape who you are now? Okay, so hopefully you've got those people in your mind. You can picture uh, their faces. Now you can open your eyes up for those of you who played along. Um, in this new setup, we have, you're fortunate that the lights are so bright, I can't tell if your eyes are open or not, so, uh, which is also an advantage. If you're sleeping, I have no idea, so I'll just keep going like this is the most riveting thing you've ever heard, and you're like leaning into it, because I wouldn't uh, know the difference, but um, so here's what I want you to notice as you think about those three 
individuals who had the biggest impact on you during your most formative years is that no matter who you thought of, your parents are not the only ones who helped to shape and mold and influence you into who you are today. Your parents are not the only ones who had a tremendous impact during your formative years. Today, our focus is on parenting with a purpose. But what I want you to do is that if you're not a parent in here, I don't want you to tune me out because you have a vital role to play in the life of individuals around you who are in their formative years. So even if you don't find yourself as a parent today, there is some truth that I believe God wants to speak to you about your relationships, about the way you live your life, about the way in which you're leaving a legacy for others, because we can all recognize that while I hope one or two of the people you thought of were your parents, I hope you had a, a good situation so that that was true for you, they're not the only ones who had an impact on you. And I believe that we as a church... The Bible often uses uh, the analogy of a family to talk about the church. I believe that God wants each of us to play a pivotal role in the life of others, even children who aren't our own. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start talking about uh, parenting with a purpose. And to do that, we're going to begin our discussion, our conversation together in Psalm 127. So I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles. If you brought one, great. If not, we have some in a seat around you. Uh, if you're going to use an old-fashioned paper Bible, just if you don't know where Psalms is, just open right to the middle. You'll probably open up to Psalms, and then it's in numerical order, find 127. Or, as most of you are doing, pull out your phone or your tablet, open up the Bible app, and you can join us in Psalm 127 there. We're going to start in verse 3 today. Psalm 127, verse 3, and it'll be on the screen if you haven't quite had a chance to turn there yet. And it says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now here's what I want us to do. As we begin this conversation to, together today about parenting with a purpose or, or living with a purpose in such a way that we can influence and impact people during their formative years, there are two words that I just want to point out and I want us to talk about for just a second before we go any further. And the first one comes right there out of verse three, still on the screen for you. And it says this, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Now, heritage is probably not a word that we use very often. I mean, I think most of us probably have a grasp on what it means, but it's just not a word that we use all that often. But I want to draw your attention to, and I actually want to create in your imagination the same kind of imagery that would come up for the original audience. I don't know how well you're familiar with your Bible and, and the different parts that make it up. There's two main divisions, the Old Testament and the New. The Old was written before Jesus. The New Testament was written after in response to who Jesus is and was and what he taught and his death and his resurrection. The Old Testament, the part that was written before Jesus was born, was written predominantly in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word here that's used that we translate, at least in this version, heritage, can also be translated inheritance or gift. And if you know much about the story of the Old Testament, uh, God 
set aside a special blessing for the Israelite people. And he said, I promise that I'm going to give you a land to call your own one day. A land that you can settle and enjoy and build a life together. A land where you can relax and worship me. A land where you can set an example for all the other nations around you. A land where I can bless you so then you can be a blessing to the rest of the world. And throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, God mostly uses this word to speak about the gift of this land to these people. This was their inheritance. This was their gift. This was their heritage from the Lord. And so when the original audience was reading these words or hearing these words that, that, that the God has given individuals children and they're a heritage from the Lord, he's saying these children are my gift to you to be a blessing and to be a blessing that's going to multiply and bless others as well. And so when you hear that word, the, original imagine, the imagination of the original audience would have gone to this land that God had promised them. It was a promise that they held passionately to, that they anxiously awaited God to fulfill, and celebrated when God did. In the same way, children are a gift. They're an, inherited, an inheritance. They're a heritage from the Lord. Here's the other thing that I want us to notice and look at, and it's in verse 5. In the beginning of verse 5, which is still on the screen for you, it says this, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man or woman who has the opportunity to have children. Blessed. Blessed. Here's the first point that I want to make today. Children are a blessing, not a burden. Now here's the deal. Blessings and burdens are both heavy weights to carry and can sometimes be confused. But children are a blessing, not a burden. Children are a blessing from God. They are God's gifts to us. Children are God's gifts to us. God has given us a gift, tremendous blessings. And the question is, what are we going to do to steward them well? How are we going to steward these gifts, these blessings that God has given to us? How are we going to steward these gifts that God has put in our life or in our path how are we going to make the most of the opportunity that God has put before us? Now, if you're a parent, that's a heavy question that you've wrestled with. Do you remember as you were preparing for your first kid? Like the overwhelmed feeling of not knowing what to do? For some of us, it was multiplied. For me, I had never changed a diaper in my life until my first son was born and I changed that first terrible one in the hospital. Right? Like there's, there's practical things, right? You're worried about if you'll break them or something. Uh, but the reality is there's this tremendous weight on what do we do with these blessings, with these gifts? How do we steward them? It's a lot to think about and it's a heavy weight to bear. And in order to help us understand 
how it is that we can steward these gifts, God gives us a word picture in Psalm 127. So God gives us this word picture of archery, of an archer with his arrows to help us think through the heavy weight of stewarding these, these gifts from God. Now, the Bible loves to, do, loves to use word pictures. Um, and you might not have even realized it before, but the Bible loves to use word pictures. I want you to think about it for a minute. If we began our discussion today by talking about, um, if we began by talking about shepherds and sheep, most of you, if you grew up in church, for most of you, that would not be weird at all. Despite the fact that you didn't grow up on a ranch and despite the fact that you know probably nothing about sheep. But if you grew up in church, because the Bible loves to use this shepherd and sheep analogy so much, it's not really that weird for most of us, right? It just makes sense. It it works for us. Um, But it's only because we're accustomed to the word pictures that the Bible likes to use. Well, for many of us, archery may be something that we're a little less familiar with. And so what I want us to do is today we're going to look at some of the principles of of archery, some of the things that that anyone who shoots very often knows, and we're going to allow it to inform us and to speak to us when it comes to stewarding God's gift. And so here's where we're going to start today in talking about how do we steward God's gift is we're going to just look at some principles from archery and allow it to speak to us, to take this word picture that, that the Bible has painted for us and, and let it speak to us. And so here's the first question that we have to think through when it comes to stewarding these gifts of children. And the question is this, what are you aiming for? What are you aiming for? So um, I love to shoot. I've been shooting uh, archery for a long time uh, and now have the joy of teaching my kids how to shoot. Um, and whether you're shooting archery Uh, whether you're shooting guns, which we also like to do in my family a lot, um, or, or whatever it is that you're doing where accuracy is important, you have to know what you're aiming for. You have to know, uh, what your target is. You've got to know where you're aiming. And so the question when it comes to kids is, what are you aiming for? As a parent, what goal are you trying to hit? Because it doesn't matter how much work and effort and energy we put into it. If we find out one day we were aiming for the wrong goal, we're going to wake up disappointed one day. There's a lot of interesting goals out there. And there's a lot of goals that are off the mark. What are you as a parent aiming for? Because we don't want to wake up one day and realize that we had spent all this time and all this energy aiming for the wrong thing. I'll tell you probably one of the most common goals that I hear parents talking about that I actually think is a detrimental goal for you and for your kids. We talk about what we're aiming for, talking about knowing what it is that we're trying to hit. Most parents operate in in the realm of trying to raise great kids. And I'm going to tell you today, your goal as a parent is not to raise great kids. I'm going to say it again. Your goal as a parent is not to raise great kids. Your goal as a parent is to raise great adults. And that changes things. It changes the conversations you have. 
it changes the way in which you discipline. It changes how you structure your lives when you recognize that you're working towards not, not raising children who love and want to serve Jesus, but raising adults who love and serve Jesus. Because you can be successful raising great kids. You can hit the bullseye of the target. And then wake up one day and realize you were aiming at the wrong one. So as a parent, what are you aiming for? What is your goal as a parent? So that's the first question. Here's our second question that I want you to think about. What rhythms do you have to hit your target? Once you know your goal, once you know what it is that you are called to do when it comes to raising your kids, what rhythms have you put into life in order to make sure that you hit the target? In many different aspects of athletics and archery, although I wouldn't normally call it a sport, but uh, is no different, is it's all about the rhythms. It's all about having the consistency to do the exact same thing every single time. And so there are rhythms that you have to get accustomed to, especially in something like archery where there's so many variables that can change and go wrong. Uh, You have to be very intentional about doing the exact same thing the exact same way every single time. Uh, My oldest son, Beckett, uh, is really into archery these days, and so we uh, shoot in the backyard, and we back up to the golf course, so we jump on the golf course and shoot. Please don't tell anyone. Um, and uh, because we can shoot farther that way. Uh, and, and so there's things that I'm always trying to remind him to make sure that he does things the exact same way every single time. There's certain rhythms that you just have to get accustomed to. When you're shooting archery, one of the worst things that you can do is grip the bow really tight. Uh, a lot of new-time, first-time shooters, they, we call it white-knuckling it. They squeeze it so hard because they want to make sure that they're holding it really firm. And the, the more you squeeze, the less stable the bow becomes. So you, you have to have a light grip. I actually, when I was learning, learned how to shoot open-handed. I don't even actually hold the bow. I leave my hand open just because it's, it's one of those habits that I formed to make sure that I did things the right way. Next, you never lock out your arm. You only do it once because when you lock out your arm, you put your forearm and your elbow right in the path of the string. It only takes once to do it. I've done it. Everyone who's shot has done it. But it only takes once to remember, don't lock out your arm. You have to keep a slight bend. But the most important part of the rhythm is what we call the anchor. It has to be the exact same every single time. And so when you're going to pull back the bow, you have to pull it back to the exact same spot. Everything about your aim changes uh, as you uh, change your anchor point. And so for me, I've developed a system where my anchor point is the tip of my thumb into the tip of my jawline. It's the same every single time. Every other archer has a different anchor point, but yours has to be consistent. And so every time you come back, and for me, this is just what I prefer, is the tip of my thumb goes into the tip of my jaw and my nose touches the string. When my nose touches the string, I know I'm in the right position. I know that I've followed through with every rhythm so that as soon as I decide that I'm ready, I'm on point. Every single time it has to be 
perfectly consistent. My anchor point is different than my son's. My anchor point is different with other people that I shoot with. Whatever your anchor point is, it has to be consistently the same every single time. And so when it comes to your family, what is your rhythm? What are the anchor points for you? Now, if we're being honest, and no judgment here, but if we're just being honest, for some of us, the rhythms of our lives are determined by TV schedules. Monday, it's football. Tuesday, it's bachelorette. Wednesday, it's whatever comes on on Wednesday. And the rhythms of our life are determined by what the TV schedule is. For some of us, the rhythms of our life are determined by Little League. It's soccer on Monday, right? It's gymnastics on Tuesday. It's basketball and drama on Wednesday. It's ballet on Thursday. For some of us, the rhythms of our life are determined by some other set schedule. But if we want to have great families, our rhythms have to be determined, be determined by our goal. What are we trying to hit and what rhythms need to be put into place so that we can consistently hit those, those marks every single time so that we can consistently move towards hitting our goal. So what are the rhythms in your life that you've established? What are the anchor points that you've put in place so that as a family you can make sure that you're hitting the target? Here's our third question. What distractions are you facing? Because there's a million distractions out there that can change things for us. Now, like in here, this is pretty easy. This is a controlled environment. Uh, there's no wind. I mean, I don't normally shoot with 40 people watching, but uh, there, and it is really surprisingly dark up here. I like took one practice shot before uh, the service started, and I was like, I can barely see the target. Um, this is a pretty controlled environment. I'm like standing seven yards from the target. Like I don't actually have a pin for seven yards. So I had to adjust a little bit. Um, but, but there's no wind. My heart rate's not up. There's nothing really on the line. Maybe a little embarrassment or something. But uh, there's nothing really on the line. But in a real world scenario, everything changes. There's a million distractions. I'm not shooting level. I'm shooting uphill. I'm shooting downhill, and it changes how you aim. The wind is blowing across, or I might be worried about the wind shifting, because if the wind shifts in the wrong direction, I'm busted. The elk's gone. I have unstable footing. I don't, I don't get this nice, clean, smooth, level platform. There's a million things to be a distraction. When we're sitting in a room like this, it's a lot easier to think about what you're going to do with your kids as you begin to raise them, because there's no distractions in here. But then Monday morning rolls around, and you got to get ready for work, and your kids got to get ready for school, and you didn't realize it, but they're demanding peanut butter and jelly for lunch, and you're out of bread, and then you're trying to figure out how to go from one thing to the next to the next after school and after work. And there are a million distractions. Now in archery, and this is true uh, in a lot of different um, 
arenas uh, where accuracy matters, but there's this uh, statement that goes, aim small, miss small, uh, that we use in archery a lot and in other sports too. As I'm teaching my kids how to shoot um, rifles and guns, it's the same thing. You know, you can have uh, a six or seven inch target and you can be off by five inches and still be in the, still be on target, right? So you can actually be off quite a bit, but, but if your target's big, then it's easy. But the smaller your target is, the, the more refined you have to be, the more care you have to give. And so uh, we use this statement, aim small, miss small. Focus on the smallest thing that you can put into focus and make sure that's what you're aiming at. So the same is true uh, for you as a family. You can have a really big goal and make it easy to hit the target. So you could have a goal like, hey, we want to raise good adults. But what does that mean? What are you really trying to hit? Because there's going to be a million distractions that will come up in life. Are we prepared to be laser focused on exactly what God has called us to? Here's our fourth question. What equipment are you working with? So this is, this is my bow, um, and there's different things that, that, that I could use that would bring about different results. So uh, this is an arrow. This is from uh, when my kids were really young, um, really short arrow, uh, designed to be shot at really low speeds. This is the next arrow that my kids moved up to. It's a little heavier. It's longer because uh, they had longer arms and needed a longer draw. This is uh, an old arrow that I used to shoot back in the day. This is actually Beckett's newest arrow, my oldest son, who's uh, 12 now. Um, but here's the deal. If I shot any, one of these I could shoot, but the other three, if I shot them with my bow, things are going to go bad. Because these weren't designed for my bow. When they hit, they'd shatter. These carbon fiber arrows, one of them's fiberglass, they'd shatter. They weren't designed to handle the weight, this larger bow. Uh, if, if Beckett chose to shoot one of my arrows, uh, nothing would go wrong. Uh, it's just too long, and the tip is too heavy. Uh, it would just nosedive. His bow's not strong enough um, to create enough velocity for an arrow like this. In addition to arrows, there's different sort of broadheads. So all of these arrows here have field tips on them. Uh, they're just designed for target practice. Uh, they could certainly do damage, but much safer than having a bunch of razor blades attached to it uh, while you're target shooting. But they come in different shapes and they come in different weights. So like I have to know exactly what weight this, this field tip is so that when I put a broadhead on when I go hunting, I know that my arrow is going to shoot the same because the same weight has been used. There's different types of bows. So this is a compound bow that I shoot here. Uh, I, I actually brought it today, but I left it backstage. But, but I brought my grandfather's old longbow. It's a bow that I've dreamed of shooting, but I can't uh, because there's a crack in the limb. And if I were to pull it back, it would, it would break. But there are different bows for different purposes, and they have strengths and they have weaknesses of each of them. And, and in order to be effective, you have to know what equipment you're using uh, and, and what you're suited for. As parents... 
we have to recognize that each of our kids are different. What may work with one doesn't necessarily work with another. With my oldest, um, I don't care how you feel about this, but uh, spankings were effective. And they were needed as kids need discipline. And they were effective for him. And usually it only had to happen once and things got cleared up. Although we still have those horror stories of like, you know, a little one and he's like, that didn't hurt. And you're like, oh, the next one might. Um, <laughs> right? So we went through that phase. My daughter was the total opposite. I, my wife and I have never, that I can recall, ever spanked her. Because all you had to do was look at her. If you looked at her and I lowered my voice slightly, game over for her. It was the end of the world. Her heart was broken. She was shattered, right? For my youngest, literally the only thing that is effective is like, I'm taking the iPad away, right? Like that is the only thing that communicates anything. Uh, Nothing else has worked. He does not care. Take the iPad away. Now we've gotten serious, okay? Once you know what you're aiming for, you have to know what you're working with. You have to recognize that sometimes the way you plan to do things isn't the way it's going to work. My wife and I joke about the greatest parents in the world are those who don't have kids yet, right? You remember when you were like that? I remember when we were like that, right? You had all the answers, You knew how to do everything, and then the real kids showed up, and it threw all of your plans out of whack. But in order to be effective, you've got to know what equipment you're working with. You have to be willing to make adjustments based on the needs of your kids. And here's our final question for today. Are you prepared to release? The only way that you're going to be effective in archery is at some point you have to let the arrow fly. You can have the prettiest bow. You can have the most expensive arrows. You can have all the proper technique. But if you can't let the arrow fly, you'll never hit the target. Parents, one day we have to be prepared to let the kids go. The point isn't to hang on to them forever. At some point, they have to be let go. And that changes what we're preparing for. It changes what our goal is. It changes what our target is, what we're aiming for. One day, the kids are supposed to be released. And that's what you and I should be working towards. Now, here's the reality. These are fun examples. They're insightful. But it doesn't change the fact that there's this heavy weight when it comes to raising kids. That there's this heavy weight of knowing, am I aiming at the right target? Am I doing all the things that I can to prepare my kids for that eventual release? Am I doing what I need to be doing with the equipment that I've been given? Am I removing distractions? Have I put in the right rhythms in life? And God gives us a little bit of reassurance and confidence 
If we go back to Psalm 127, if we look in verse 1, we didn't start in verse 1, we skipped down to verse 3, but I want you to look at verse 1 with me now. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Parents, you cannot save your kids with the power of your parenting. We are desperately in need of God's grace. We are desperately in need for God to do a work. It's why we humbly submit in prayer and beg God to guide and to lead and to save our children. It's why we invoke him into everything we do because we are completely dependent on God. If God doesn't build it, then the builders are working in vain. If God is not at the center of all the things that we talked about today, if God is not at the center of what we're aiming for for our kids, if God is not at the center of the rhythms and routines and anchor points in our lives, if it's not God who is the one who removes the distractions and defines what the target is versus what the distractions are, then all of our efforts are in vain. We are in desperate need for God to step in. And it's why everything we do as parents should be consumed in prayer. And here's the reality. You and I are in desperate need of God's grace. It's not just our kids who need it. We need it. We are in desperate need of God's grace if we're going to, to be effective and successful as parents. Maybe you're not even a parent in here and you're just sitting here thinking through the people in your life that maybe God has brought into your path. That, that maybe you can be one of those adults who shapes and molds somebody's life during their formative years, even if you're not their parent. We are in desperate need of God's grace to make that happen. And we are in desperate need of God's grace if even in our own lives we ever hope to hit the target. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity that we have here today just to think and reflect on the weight of being parents on the weight of influencing other people's lives. And God, we are so desperately in need of your grace in this task. And we just come to you and we just confess that we're not worthy and we're not capable. We're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We don't have all the tools and the tips and the skills needed. Lord, would you come and do a work in us? Would you come and guide and lead and save our children? 
would you come and do what only you can do? I'm going to invite you to keep your eyes closed for just a minute. And as we close, we're going to have a time of response. It's a time that we have every week. An opportunity for you to um, reflect on what we've talked about and to respond to the ways in which God is uh, speaking to you. And I think probably all of us in here, if you're a parent, you, you feel a certain weight of, man, I, I know I've done some things right, but I've done a lot of things wrong. I've messed it up in a lot of different ways. I've allowed other people or other things to determine the rhythms of my life and our family, and I haven't taken control of that. You might say, you know what, I think this whole time I've been aiming at the wrong target. You might stop and think and just feel like God's speaking to you about the distractions that are pulling you away from what it is that you should be aiming at. And there is plenty of time for us to reflect on those realities as parents. But for the moment, I want you to just stop and to be open and sensitive to how God is your Father. It's the, it's the most favorite way of explaining our relationship to God in all of the Bible. And that God has a purpose for you. He created you for a purpose. He was aiming at something when he made you. He wired you exactly how he wanted you. And he, as your heavenly father, is trying to guide you towards being who he called you to be. And he extends and offers his grace because you can't do it alone. No amount of your hard work or effort will ever produce what you want. But God promises to be at work in it. And so right now, maybe just set aside all the to-do lists of what you want to change as a parent and just focus right now on your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Allow Him to speak about what He's trying to do in your life, about what He's aiming for for you, where He's trying to guide you and to be open to Him. We're going to have a time and opportunity for you to stand and to sing. There'll be people in the back standing under the lights if you'd like someone to pray with you. As we just allow God to be that father figure for us in this moment, to correct us where we need correcting, to encourage us where we need to be encouraged, to guide us along the path that he designed us to walk. Would you open your heart to him in this time, in this place? Lord Jesus, thank you. Would you continue to move? Would you continue to speak? Do what only you can do in this time.